0: One of the most gratifying things I know to do is to paint a room. It's not the most fun thing, but it's very gratifying when it's finished. Because you walk in and it's different. And it's like, I did something. It is done. My sister once bought a house that the entire interior was pink. Every room, even the kitchen, the stove was painted pink. Except for one room that was blue. Everything else was pink. And so you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it was like a pepto abysmal pink. It wasn't like a magical pink, yeah. It was, it was a lot. And then, when it was done, it was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> this is radically different. Um, most of the time, you walk into a room after it's painted, and it's like, this is very different. Unless it's one of those that's like the difference between like seafoam green and cerulean green. Only people with PhDs can tell the difference of the color. Okay? But that's, that's fine if that's your thing. Um, when I was in high school, uh, my parents let me paint my own room, and, um, and they, didn't, they didn't question before about it, so I picked this wonderful, like super, super dark green, which like, if you close your eyes in a forest at night, like that's the color of my room, um, and I also painted the ceiling because I didn't know you weren't supposed to paint the ceiling, uh, so it was wonderful. It was this, this gorgeous cave that nobody else wanted to enter, and I was like, ah, this is my, this is my space. Um, when I was done, though, I was I was great. I said, "What would you like to paint it?" So I didn't leave a cave in College Station when I left for college. Um, I painted it back to the color they wanted. I said painting is gratifying, but it is not the most fun way to spend a Saturday. And the issue is because the key to painting is prepping well. <laughs> it's doing, you have to. It's the work before the work. If you don't do the work before the work, it's not going to stick. If you don't take the time to tape up. To cover everything, to put primer, to scrape, to do all those things that don't show any difference at all, when you actually get the paint can out, it's going to look ugly. And then if you get the paint out and you're rushing everything through, it's still still not going to do the trick. The walls need to be prepared to receive a new coat of paint. My friends, we are continuing our series on first steps. This week on the first steps of faith. Last week we spoke about the first step of faith is to realize that you are loved by God and God desires for you a life of total love. This week we're going to talk about the second step. It's to receive the mercy of God, to receive the Holy Spirit in your life. In the Christian faith, we call this baptism. Today we celebrate the baptism of the Lord. In the Christian calendar, later in the service, for those of you who are already baptized, we'll have an opportunity to remember your baptism. Now, when I was in in seminary, I had to take a worship class to learn all this kind of worshipy stuff. And one of the things that my worship professor was very direct about is that when you do a baptismal remembrance, don't make it confusing to people. Don't make them think that they're being baptized again. So that's why So we're going to do a sign of a cross on your forehead. It's not, So the important thing, you just, you just do a water-like sign that is not to be confused with baptism, but includes baptism. But water, I mean, not baptism. Because you're not baptized twice. Like, that's very important. But we'll get back to that. Um, <laughs> I sort of, should be very clear on that. But if you have not been baptized before, and I want you to pray about this today, that you have an opportunity for this day um, to enter into the life of God, to receive the mercy of the Lord this day, to receive the Holy Spirit in your life this day. I usually have a lot of like you have to have conversations and classes and things like that, but today, the baptism of the Lord. I feel open to the spirit, and if it doesn't happen, that's great, but I just want to put that out there um, on the hearts of any of you all out there today. Baptism in the Bible begins with John the Baptist. We're introduced to John before Christmas. In one of the Luke 1 passages, he's the son of Zechariah. John is the first person to realize that Jesus is special. He moves in his mother's womb when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. The infancy account of John only occurs in the Gospel of Luke, but John is found in all four Gospels. John is mentioned in some of the letters of Paul. John is mentioned in the book of Acts. John is referred to as the forerunner in the early church. He is the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. His name is John, which is a common name. There's a lot of Johns. A long time ago, there's a lot of Johns. Today, it's a great name. It's a good name. I've got a brother named John and a grandfather named John. It's good. I like John. Uh, I have a father-in-law named John. Um, but Baptist was the unique one. There weren't a lot of Baptists. It wasn't like Texas in back 2,000 years ago. There weren't a ton of Baptists everywhere you look. Um, which is great. I also love Baptists. My best friends are Baptists. It's wonderful. Um, but, and so bab- baptizo in Greek was really just to be um, submerged in water. And so baptizing would be just like if you jump in a swimming pool, like you're baptized kind of thing. Like, so this is um, 2,000 years ago in ancient Greek. So that was, it was just kind of like a word used like for jumping in water is, is, the same, is the same word. In the Hebrew faith, there was this thing called the mikveh which was a, a special pool used um, for, before the temple was destroyed, it was used to purify people for the temple. And so there were a lot of like, pools used in this process. After the temple was destroyed, there were still, it's a very important um, part of, the Jew, of Orthodox Jewish faith. And I even read that um, there's some uh, rabbis who said that you need to sell your synagogue in order to build a mikvah, because it's so central to the life of the faith. Um, and now, nowadays it's mostly used for, for women after labor, labor or menstruating or for new converts to the faith. So those two things. Um, but, that was, but that's the function. And it has to be like 535 gallons deep. And so it's like it's a serious pool. But that was, that was what was going on um, around the time of John the Baptist. But this is something new that John is preaching. John isn't, John isn't going out to say people, you've got to get prepared to be in the temple. John was calling people to repentance for the life now. This is, you need to be prepared for the rest of your life because the kingdom of God is here. For Christians, baptism functions in three important ways to us, but only one of those ways to Jesus. And this is important because if we do not consider the multiple functions of baptism, the baptism of Jesus makes no sense. It didn't make any sense to John. John had no idea what was going on. He was like, I, what? Messiah Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie your sandal. You should be baptizing me, not the other way around. And yet the baptism of Jesus is essential for who Jesus is. And it is equally essential that Jesus cannot baptize himself. I can't baptize myself. You can't baptize yourself. Baptism is something that must be given and must be received. There needs to be a community. And in receiving baptism, Jesus submits himself to another. It would be easy to imagine this world, as John did, that God sends the Messiah. And the Messiah is the one who baptizes. And the Messiah kind of stands above everyone all the way. But that's not what happened. Jesus took the form of a servant, and that means receiving something. And so he humbled himself with baptism. He puts himself deeper into humanity. John preaches baptism as a call to repentance. Now this is super important for us today. Baptism is a mark of God's mercy for us. It is a mark that we are not our sins. It is a mark that we are not the worst things that have ever happened to us. We can be freed from self-destruction through the power of God. And yet, Jesus did not live a life of sin as we do. Jesus did not need to repent. The baptism for Jesus was not a mark of repentance. So what was going on? Another aspect of baptism that is important for us is a mark of entrance into the body of Christ. In the baptismal liturgy, we say, through baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. And incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. Yet Jesus does not need to be incorporated into himself. He is already, he already has the body of Christ. It's literally his body. He does not need to enter again into himself. So, again, why was he baptized? The third aspect of baptism is the descent of the Holy Spirit into the life of the person being baptized. This is the point of the baptism of Jesus. This is the answer to the quiz. This is what takes place at the Jordan River. Though the Spirit had come to Mary before Jesus' birth, it is here when Jesus goes to the Jordan River, when he goes to see John, that the Spirit comes to him. In all four Gospels, the baptism is the beginning of his public ministry. And still, in being submerged in the waters and rising out of the waters, we see a foretaste of what is going to happen at Good Friday and Easter. The end of the road for Jesus. As a Russian theologian once said, his coming to John already implied the decision he had made to do God's will to the end. It implies that he has already decided to go to the cross. A decision to which the descent of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation that he was the son of the Father were the response. All Christians baptize in some way or another, different churches place different emphasis on on baptism. Baptists, for instance, practice what is called believers' baptism. The idea that you have to be um, of a certain age in order to have the baptism be valid. You can't baptize someone unless they're of the age of consent. What is the age of consent? That is an interesting question. Um, Different Baptists have different answers for this. As far as I can tell, it comes close to what Potter Stewart says about another thing. I know it when I see it. Catholics and Lutherans and other mainline Protestants um, baptized infants as well as as adults. Um, We'll talk about that for a little bit, but for much of the history of the church and the history of Europe, baptismal records were the only records people had. Um, It was the only way you would know that someone existed was the baptismal records of the church. They would also be used as the tax records of the state. And so often people would be baptized and then there's nothing to do with the church and the priests were getting their nice little priestly salary so they wouldn't be going out and getting people back. Um, So this is the kind of, the circumstances out of which the Reformation came and a lot of people being like, hey, you know, I was baptized, my family for 15 generations was baptized and none of us have ever been to church. So why does it matter? Um, How can God really matter to us? How can God really matter to my children? And that's where this emphasis on believer's baptism came out of. But like most amazing and good things, there gets to be some distortions. There are some Baptist churches that believe only baptism in their church is valid. And so everyone else in the world is going to hell. Except for the people who live in this small town in East Texas. Like That's it. (laughs) As well, there were some Brethren churches... That had arguments about whether or not you could be divi- you could um, be baptized in still water or flowing water, and so they would have they would have these arguments. That it's like it's invalid if it's still water. No, it's 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 good, it's good. Um, but the context of that was there was one community that lived by a river, and they said only flowing water was valid, and the other community lived five miles from a river, and they said still water was fine because they don't want to travel five miles every time someone gets baptized on horse and buggy. But United Methodists, we baptize infants as well as adults. The adult baptism, the believer's baptism, is the paradigm of what it should look like. And yet, we do so because we believe God is the one who offers the gift in baptism. Baptism is not a dialogue, but a monologue from God to us through the church. You are loved. You are my child. The step we must take is to receive it. And some gifts are easier to receive than others. The easiest gifts to receive are the ones we think we deserve. Like think about a child on his birthday or her birthday. Like they think they deserve all it. They'll take the gifts. Give me more gifts. I've never met a six-year-old who's like, no, 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 too many gifts. <laughs> stop. Stop. But sometimes we get to a point in our life where we feel like we don't need more stuff, and we're like, "No, you know, you don't think like you deserve it, and you want to. It's not the same. It's hard to receive." But a gift is neither about need nor about merit, and that's so important to remember. The gift of the mercy of God is entirely undeserving. We don't deserve it. You don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve mercy. And we see this explained so so wonderfully a few chapters later in Luke, in chapter 15. Where's these three amazing parables of grace? The first is the parable of the lost sheep, of the shepherd who goes out. And he has a hundred sheep, and he brings ninety-nine back. But there's one stuck in the brambles, and he leaves the ninety-nine to go rescue the one. And then he rejoices when he grabs the one. Now, when you hear this story, who do you relate to more? Do you relate to the shepherd? Or to the lost sheep. Or to the 99, they're like, how are you? Why are you doing that? Why are you wasting your time? <laughs> <laughs> the, the second parable is the parable of the lost coin. The parable of the woman who has ten coins and then loses one and spends the whole night, spends the whole night looking for them. And then when she finds it, she rejoices, she celebrates, she's so excited. <coughs> now who do you relate to More. In that. Do you relate to the woman spending all night looking for something, or the coin that was lost, <laughs> and then found? And then the final parable is probably the most famous parable of the Gospels, the one of the prodigal son. The story of the father with two sons, who's the younger son, decides he's had enough of country life, and decides he wants to think his father dead and take his inheritance, and he goes out to the far country. And he goes and spends it all. And then he loses everything. And he's poor and he's destitute. And he thinks to himself, the pigs on my father's farm have a better life than I do. So he goes back humbly to his father, expecting just to live at the pig side. That's all he's expecting. It's like, I want to have some good sloth. Like, I would use some sloth right now. Um, but instead, the father welcomes him, embraces him. And not only that, he cuts the fatted calf, and they feast. That fatted calf that probably was being saved for the older son's wedding is being used to celebrate the son. And when they ask, like, why are you, What are you doing this? And the father says, for my son has returned to me. My son who is dead is alive again. Now, who do you relate to more in that? Do you relate to the father or the, the younger, the prodigal son or the older brother? How hard was it for the prodigal son to admit that he was wrong? How many of you love telling people you're wrong? How many of you, when you were kids or teenagers, loved telling your parents, I'm wrong? I'm wrong, you're right. How many parents love telling their kids, I'm wrong? You made a good point. To receive the gift of mercy is to admit that you cannot save yourself. It also means admitting that the love God has for you is not based on anything you've done. It's not based on that Spanish test you aced in high school. It's not based on optimizing your career trajectories. It's not based on that awesome selfie you took last week. God offers us mercy because the God who created everything did so out of love. Think of the party at the end of the parable of the prodigal son. We'll talk about this more next week when we talk about the wedding feast at Cana. But they, they celebrate, for he is alive again. Imagine the greatest party you've ever been to. Just like really, like take a moment. Like when it was a really great party. And you actually had fun. And you weren't pretending and you weren't faking it. Like think about that party. Now, so, you know, if you're a parent, imagine your kids behaving perfectly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> think about, you know, you don't have work the next day. You have nothing you need to do. You don't eat too much. You're just celebrating and joyful and joyously being around people. There's no annoying people anywhere. You're not avoiding any conversation. There's no taboo topics. That is what life with God is like. It's like the best party ever that never gets old and you never get tired. Because that is what it's like to be next to God. And all that God asks you God offers this without price. There is no price of admission. There is no ticket you need to stamp. All that God asks you is that you receive it. God does the work in us. God does all the prepping and the priming. God's there the night before until 4 a.m. Putting the tape up. Getting the primer there. Getting the fans on. Getting everything covered. God is there. All you have to do is accept it. In a little while, we're going to say our prayer of confession. Then we will have the opportunity to remember our baptism. It's going to look kind of like communion. We will, we'll come. The ushers will come forward and guide you forward. If you, if you feel led to come forward, we'll put a sign on your forehead to remember your baptism. And even if you were baptized as a child, you can remember your baptism through the people in your life who were there. I remember my baptism through my parents. I do. Like that's, that is the connection. And yet, even still, if you have not been baptized before and you feel God calling you, be open to receiving the Spirit this day. As Gregory of Nazianzus says, Today let us do honor to Christ's baptism and celebrate this feast in holiness. Be cleansed entirely and continue to be cleansed. Nothing gives such pleasure to God as the conversion and salvation of people for whom his every word and every revelation exists he wants you to become a living force for all of humanity lights shining in the world you are to be radiant lights as you stand beside christ the great light bathed in the glory of him who is the light of heaven you are to enjoy more and more the pure and dazzling light of the trinity as you as now you have received though not in its fullness a ray of its splendor proceeding from the one God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.